Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Wow. Was that powerful? Thank you to Ani and Amy and all our kiddos. So it's a very odd memory. And yet it stands out clearly in my mind. I can't tell you that I remembered it in precise, or I thought of it in precisely these words, but I remember very clearly what I thought. It happened during a Vesper service at the college church, college where I was a student, when the pastor was preaching on the parable of the prodigal son. It was while we were reading the passage and while he was preaching the sermon that the thought came to me, Jesus should have taken some storytelling lessons. I don't mean it in a sacrilegious way, but even a novice storyteller knows a few things. I was very much a novice at that time, though I had great interest in stories and listening to them, reading them, watching them, and one day telling them. But as novice as I was, I knew this. When a story reaches its emotional peak, its emotional high point, its emotional climax, you stop talking because the story's over. One of the greatest mistakes storytellers make is to keep talking. I mean, I learned that probably doing children's stories. And it wasn't the exceptional reality that we just observed. I learned that in telling children's stories, children are brutally honest. If they're connected, if you're telling the story and they're engaged, they're with you. If they're not, heaven help you. And if you reach the peak, the point where the issues in the story, the conflict is resolved, and keep talking, the story's over. And the kids know it. They're rolling around on the stage, pinching each other, kicking each other, picking their nose. They're doing all kinds of things. And for that reason, you've lost them too because they're watching them. They're not listening to you. And so as one preacher puts it, you can keep filling the air with must and should and ought to and words like that, Nobody's listening because the story is over. And it was that that caused me to think Jesus could have used some storytelling lessons because this story, this parable in Luke 15 should have ended at verse 24. I'd be surprised if some of you here haven't noticed that as well. But just in case, let's read. Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11. 
Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth with wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Jesus respectfully stopped talking. The story's over. The conflict has been resolved. The lost son has come home. There's a party that's breaking out. There's excitement. There's joy. The only thing you can say at this point is, and they lived happily ever after. What you don't want to say, Jesus, is, meanwhile, back at the ranch, don't say that. And that's precisely what he does. And it made me, even as a college student, think, wait a minute, what happened here? You missed the best landing point any storyteller could have. End it on an emotional high point. And instead you kept talking. Now I'll be honest with you, it took me years to understand that. Took studying Luke's gospel, studying Luke 15, studying Fred Craddock and other New Testament folk. It took me years to finally realize what was happening. And here's what I discovered. The reason Jesus didn't stop at verse 24 is that the parable is not about the prodigal son. Oh, I know he's central to the plot. I get that. I understand that we call it the parable of the prodigal son, or as my NIV version here renders it, the parable of the lost son. But Jesus doesn't stop there because this parable isn't about him. Well, someone says, uh, maybe we could call it the parable of the waiting father. That's what the parable is about. And again, the answer is, 
You absolutely see the Father's heart on full display here. You see his love and his mercy and his grace unquestionably clear. But the parable is not about the waiting father, even though that's central to the plot. The reality is the parable is about the older brother. That's what the parable is about. And that's why Jesus doesn't stop talking. And you say, well, Randy, how, how do you figure? How do you know that? Well, we go to the first three verses of chapter 15 of Luke's gospel. The verses that introduce three parables, the key one of which is the parable that we call it of the prodigal son. So here's Luke 15, 1 to 3. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Jesus, consummate storyteller that he was, was constantly aware of his audience. How were they responding? Were they connecting? Did they understand? And as he looks out at this audience, he quickly sees that in his audience are two groups, insiders and outsiders. And he realizes that the insiders are doing side-eye at the outsiders. They're muttering among themselves. How did they get in here? What are they doing here? And look how he's treating them. What, what is, how can this be? They're not part of us. And as Jesus realizes that's what ha what's happening, he says, there was a man who had two sons. And he begins to unfurl the story. Now, honestly, Jesus was exceptional in the beginning parts of this story. Exceptional because he knew that one of the most important storytelling features is to upset the equilibrium. Knock the listener off balance. Introduce some conflict. When you do that, you have them. It's true of every book, every movie, every novel, every story. When the conflict is introduced, now we're listening because we want to know what happens. How's this going to get resolved? And so when Jesus introduces the story by saying, father had two sons younger son said to his father in our vernacular said to his father dad drop dead i want what's mine that knocks the props out from under the listeners no son certainly no decent son in their world would ever say that to his father so even though they wouldn't know iron mike tyson who didn't come around for two thousand years they would have agreed with his sentiment the boxer who said, everybody has a plan till you punch him in the mouth. That would have been on their mind. You know what that kid needs? That kid needs you to deal with, give him a good, you know. And instead, Jesus says, okay. The father says, 
Here you go. Now they're listening. And Jesus unfurls the story as the prodigal son unravels. Going from the place of privilege, the warmth of home, to ending up in the slime of the swine, mucking around, desiring pig food to satiate his appetite. It comes to the point where that son can only think of one word, just one word, home, home, home. And then the scene shifts. We go from the pigsty to the front porch. And there on the front porch is the father sitting there as he must have sat day after week after month and possibly after year. Looking down that lane that led all the way to a far country, gazing, peering into the distance to see if maybe today he would come. On this day, he spies a figure down the lane, stumbling, staggering, lurching toward the father. And the father gazes. And as he gets closer, he thinks of this cadaverous skin and bones figure. There's something familiar. Could it be? Might it be? It is. And then the father does what no dignified Jewish man in his world would do. The father ran, swept him up into his embrace. Bring the robe. Bring the ring, bring the jewel sandals, and kill the fatted calf because we're going to have a party. The son is trying to choke out the words, Father, Father, please, a servant, a morsel of food. Enough! We're going to celebrate. My son was dead, is alive, was lost, and is found. He has come home, and we're going to have a party. And that's the moment. When I want to say with all due respect to Jesus, stop talking. It's over. Story's done. Everything is resolved. But Jesus keeps talking. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Notice verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. 
My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The older brother comes trudging in from the field, hot, exhausted, sweaty, filthy. He's been doing what the father needs done. As he arrives at home, he is greeted by an entirely unexpected scene. Servants rushing about hither and yon, people running here and there, preparing something. He does a quick mental check. It's not a holiday, nobody's birthday. He collars a servant on the way by, says, what is going on? Servant says, um, you, you, you may want to ask your father I'm asking you oh um, well it's your brother brother I don't have a brother well actually you do and uh, he he's come home and your father has killed a fattened calf and we're going to have a party. You're going to have a what? A party. You know, when people get together and celebrate and eat and drink and dance. I know what a party is, you fool. What do you mean you're having a party? Yeah, for your, for your brother. And um, your father would like you to attend. Really? Let's get one thing straight right now. There is no way I'm going to that party. You know, you have to, you have to feel bad for the older brother, don't you? Don't we have to cut him some slack? I mean, hasn't he earned the right to be angry? With every furrow he has plowed, with every seed he has planted, with every harvest he has worked, hasn't he earned the right to be angry? Through every sleepless night as his father sobbed into his tear-stained pillow with the brother trying to console him, burning with anger inside at the brother that caused all this, didn't he earn the right to be angry? He's done what the father wanted. And now, here comes this ingrate who has squandered everything the father gave him. And the father's throwing him a party. Doesn't the older brother have the right to be angry? Shouldn't we cut him some slack? I mean, I think so. But in the interest of full disclosure, maybe part of why I think so is that I'm the older brother. I've been in the house. 
about the Father's business. And then people start coming who wanted nothing to do with the Father. And the Father's throwing them parties. Shouldn't we cut the older brother some slack? Or maybe, on the other hand, I should just go all the way and confess. I'm also the younger son. And that's maybe why I wish this story was about the younger son and ended at verse 24. Because then it would give me the assurance that every time I wander away and come staggering back home, the Father will run to greet me, to sweep me up into his embrace, and to say, shh, shh, don't worry about that. Bring the best robe, bring the ring, kill the fatted calf. We're going to throw a party. That's what I want the story to be. Because it assures me I'll be received with open arms. But to spend my life at home. Hmm. The old Puritan prayer, I am forever wandering into a far country. And thou art forever welcoming me as a prodigal and bringing forth the best robe. That's what I want it to be. But while that's key to the story, the story's about the older brother. And then comes the father out to meet the older brother. The older brother has just become angry and said, I will not go to that party. And the father comes out and entreats him. He says, my son. We missed something there in the English. There are several different Greek words that could have been used there by Jesus to speak to his son, my son. Jesus chooses the one with the greatest depth of endearment. It's as though the father places his hands on the shoulders of this older son and gazes into his eyes and says, my dear boy. My dear boy, we're in this together. Everything I have is yours. It all belongs to you. You're my boy. You're not diminished by welcoming your brother home. Won't you come into the party? Won't you share with him all the privileges that you have enjoyed. Scott Cormode, again, in his book, The Innovative Church, writes this. Hospitality means extending the privileges of community to people who do not have the standing in the community to expect it. It is treating outsiders like insiders. Another way of saying it is that hospitality is extending privileges across differences. The key word there may well be privileges. The big lies that we believe center around the idea that not everyone deserves privileges, that we, the insiders, get to decide who are given 
privileges. But the way to counter those lies with the truth of the gospel is to say, we must offer hospitality to all of them because God offers hospitality to all of us. And the Father takes the Son's face in his hands and says, my boy, my boy, you and I are in this together. It's all yours. Can't you welcome your brother home? Can't you treat the outsider like an insider? There's a tremendous irony in this parable. Because when the prodigal staggers home, he's the outsider. When the older brother trudges home from the field, he's the insider. But once swept up into the father's embrace, the outsider becomes the insider. And once refusing the father's invitation, the insider becomes the outsider. But the father will not allow that outsider to remain outside. He goes out, he meets him, he entreats him, he pleads with him. In fact, here is where we see the storytelling genius of Jesus. Because he doesn't finish the story. The last thing we see in the background is the dancing fire, the shifting shadows, the sound of laughter and joy, the shuffling of feet in the Jewish celebratory dances. All of that is in the background, but in the foreground, we see two silhouettes. One is the silhouette of a father reaching toward the son, entreating him. The other is the silhouette of a son pushing the father away. He is pleading with him, entreating him, come to the party, and Jesus stops talking. And by doing so, he says to the listener, to you, to me, finish the story. Does he go in? Does he not? And Jesus says, you tell me. Because you decide. At every doorway where the prodigal enters, you decide. Genius. 1,500 years ago, St. Benedict of Nursia in his monasteries, had a very specific rule for his monks, specifically those monks who were porters. It was the porter's task to answer the door. While Benedict of Nursia would never have known this, two millennia later, a writer wrote these words, how we answer the door is how we treat the world. So Benedict of Nursia had a rule for his porters. First, he said, you must sleep close to the door so that you will hear and be awakened by even the quietest knock. And then when you hear the knock, you say to yourself, 
with all the gentleness and all the grace of God, may peace be upon you. And then you arise, and you go to the door, and you open the door. And you look at the one there, stranger though he or she may be, and you say, thanks be to God, welcome. One writer, reflecting on what St. Benedict did, wrote these words. In contrast to St. Benedict's rule, the 20th century writer Dorothy Parker used to answer her telephone, imagine this, used to answer her telephone with this greeting, what fresh hell is this? The writer asks, how do you respond when someone knocks on the door of your church or home or life? Is it closer to what fresh hell is this? Or to thanks be to God. And so Jesus left us, you and me, with the answer to the question. Will we treat outsiders like insiders? That person who comes to our door who has been out living it up while we've been working in the vineyard of the Lord. That person who wanted nothing to do with God and showed it by promiscuous wild living while we sought to be faithful to his heart. That person who has made choices that run against everything that you may think I may believe, lifestyles and actions and deeds that we say we can never condone because if we throw parties for prodigals pretty soon in here, you won't be able to tell who's an insider and who's an outsider. And Jesus says, you're kind of getting to it, aren't you? What do we do when they come to our door and knock? I wonder if we can answer by saying, Here's what we do. We open the door and we say, thanks be to God. Welcome. God of grace, we've all been prodigals. We're only here. I am only here because of your grace. Lord, many, if not most, or even all of us are older brothers. Give us tender hearts, tender souls, kind answers, and open doors. In the name of Jesus. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.